Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello and good day, my friend. I hope that you're doing amazing, and I invite you to buckle up because we have Gerald Clark back on the podcast, and uh, if you've listened to him before, then you know that you're in for it. Um, In this one, we talk about Baba G as a potential ET, Ascended Masters, the gravity body. Uh, We go deep on this one. Gerald is super smart. So we talk about his history flying helicopters in the military, his background in um, electrical engineering, his gravity body course, the Diamond Lecture Series, uh, chakras as neurological physical centers, the human antennae, antenna polychromatic photography uh gravity gravity and consciousness starfire gold uh, how to balance your chakras einstein's elevator experiment so i'm just reading this is in two parts that's just like a bit of the stuff that i wrote down so it's an epic episode i know you're gonna like it if you want to share and support this podcast please do that it really helps when you share episodes that you like when you write a blog about it when you do anything and just get the word out there um you can also support on patreon thank you so much for those of you who who are tossing a buck in the bucket, it goes a massively long way. Um, and soon I'm going to be able to get a car and that's going to be dope. So um, I'm really looking forward to that. It doesn't have to be an expensive car. It just needs to be better than a bicycle or public transit. So, you know, I'm working my way up and it's going to be dope. But uh, thank you so much, Jamie McMahon, for uh, supporting me and chipping a buck in the bucket. It goes a long way. And my hope is to just, you know, make a podcast that's so high quality that millions of people listen to it. And, um, you know, everybody talks is in something so nominal and and I can support by doing what I but I lo- what I love and I'm committed to definitely um, pursuing that path so thank you so much for those of you who support and the best thing that you can do is one act of kindness today um, I'm still not in the groove so I'm tripping over my words a little bit but if you want to support the podcast and you really understand what this is all about um, just do an act of kindness if you take one thing from this show just do one kind act a day um, even better do the kindness challenge and that's three kind acts a day for seven days go out of your way to do it and don't tell anybody and just do it because the people who have done it have come back and said that is a very profound experience Um, a lot of people get what i refer to as a universal wink something really strange happens to them um, from doing it so please do that and if you do it um, write a short article about it let me know uh, tag me just let me know that you did it because um, it it just makes me know that the podcast is working so i invite you to do that check out mattbelair.com sign up for the email list if you want a free lucid dreaming just go forward slash lucid dreaming get a free ebook and a guided meditation um i think that's it for those of you who want coaching there's a coaching form at mattbelair.com we can dive deep into all this stuff um i do the personal sessions in one-on-one and that's about it we're gonna leave we're gonna leave it at that so let's just come into a state of uh, peace and coherence before we get into this so wherever you are in the world just stop whatever you're doing taking a deep breath in through your nose Hold that breath and just set the intention to come to total peace and relaxation right now. Just total peace and total calm. And let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the worries, and all the tasks. Just relaxing deeply now. Taking in another deep breath in through your nose. 
holding that breath and just imagine powerful golden platinum light from the universe coming down from the universe through every cell and every muscle at the top of your head just coming down your entire body connecting you to spirit and just let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries and all the troubles one more deep breath in through your nose connecting to universal life force energy that breathes you that's all around you that is you and just let that breath out slowly with any limitation feeling fully refreshed alert worthy excited um, connected and so i think we're ready let's get into this incredible part one with the man gerald clark hello and welcome to the master mind body and spirit show i'm your host Matt Belair. Today's guest holds a master's of science in electrical engineering, electronic circuits and systems from the University of California, San Diego, and is the author of Seventh Planet Mercury Rising and the Anunnaki of Nibiru. He has also created an incredible library of videos and teachings online. Welcome back to the show, my friend, Gerald Clark. It's good to be here, Matt. Uh, how, can you hear me okay? Are I hear you great. Loud and clear. Yep, I got <laughs> Let you. Let me translate all that stuff he just said. <laughs> Nerd. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, when I was in college, um, I was a little bit unusual because I had spent seven years in the military flying attack helicopters when I got out. Well, so I, I went back to the same college that I'd started in when I left to go to flight school, and so I showed up at you know 27 years old. I was a non-traditional student. And uh, I didn't know that I was an academic nerd at the time. To be honest with you, I truly, you know, I really didn't know. And, uh, it, it, you know, I actually started out, tried to go directly back to UCSD at Ravel College in San Diego, where I got accepted right out of high school. And then got this call, hey, you guys want, you want this flight slot? And I got lured into going and doing my dream, actually. My dream was to fly growing up. And so that was an actualization that it made me, you know, it fulfilled something very deep in me that I needed. I wasn't in it to shoot people. That was part of the game. I never really wanted to do that. But uh, flying helicopters or flying period was, I don't know, it was my dream. And it was, it was so real to me. It was like, I just knew I was going to do that somehow, some way. It wasn't just a fantasy. You know, everybody thinks they want to fly like a bird, but I knew I was going to fly. And so... That's amazing. How long did you do that for? You, you flew helicopters? That's intense. Yeah, well, I, uh, I had applied to the Air Force Academy when I was 17, got accepted, saw what they were into, <laughs> shaved heads and all that. And I was like, I had long hair as a hippie in high school, right? I'm like, nah, I don't think so. But it, the dream never went away of flying. And so I ended up going back to San Diego and got, was hanging around with a guy who had a P-51 Mustang influencing me about flying. Next thing I knew, I took the flight aptitude test, not thinking anything about it. And I got a call to go and take a flight slot. So I took a circuitous route through my education for seven years in, the, in a cockpit of a helicopter in the Army. Yeah, so I was stationed in Korea. I was stationed all over the place. And I had over 1,500 flight hours as the pilot in command. I was a unit flight instrument trainer and night vision goggle trainer as well. So I spent hmm. a lot of time with a pair of goggles strapped to my head flying through <laughs> moonlit creek beds, avoiding wires and things like that. Wow. Well, did you ever get into like a combat situation? Well, that was the thing. Uh, in 89, when I got out, it was right before the Gulf War started. And all of my friends who stayed, you know, and took the advanced aircraft that were coming around, the Apaches were brand new back then. 
you know, the Apache helicopter. And my last orders were to go pick up one of those at Mesa, Arizona, fly back to Fort Rucker, Alabama, go through flight instructor training, and then be deployed to Germany for three years. I love Germany. I, I, I had this connection with Germany. I don't know why. I studied German in college because of that. I just really loved it. So I got out in 89, went back to college, and uh, found out I was kind of a, a nerd. <laughs> and, you know, and one thing led to another, and I got a, a undergraduate in computer engineering and worked a lot. I worked in an AI company for seven years doing artificial intelligence research on robotics, autonomous vehicles. In the 90s? Yeah. This wow. Was, it really started in 89 when the startup company that my family had started and it's long past but it was called reticular systems in san diego well, really great stuff that came out of that organization we worked very closely with researchers at ucsd and such <clears throat> anyway so from that experience I, I kind of branched off into more broadcast and communications so i did some telemetry and command unit stuff with the global star constellation when i was really heavy in engineering and I'm, I'm telling you this, all this, because it's like, how do you go from being deep into venture-funded startup companies that are doing cutting-edge technological, displacing technology, I mean, disruptive technologies, like free space optics to replace fiber optics and things like that. I was involved in all of that. How do you go from that <laughs> to this crazy place where you're talking about ancient aliens and your energy body and evolving your consciousness. I know that's what you want to know, right? How does, how does this happen? Well, I don't know. How do you think it happened? <laughs> <laughs> Bump on the head. Uh, I was having into martial arts. I know you were as well. Yeah. And I, did, I did that for several years. And uh, I was always kind of an athlete through my life, baseball, football, track and field, all of that. So I was always kind of somewhat connected with my body, but not, from an energetic standpoint, or that this is a vehicle you use to get from point A to point B or get the job done or win this fight or whatever, you know, and it, it, that didn't start happening, that waking up to the multidimensional reality of what we are and who we are until much later in my life. I was probably 35 when that happened. Hmm. Yeah, I think it's important. Yeah, because I talked to you at the beginning just to share that background because a lot of the stuff now when you when you try to, you know, when you go down a rabbit hole, it doesn't matter which rabbit hole, there's a lot of nonsense. There's a lot of stuff that um, will blow your mind. There's different teachers doing different things. But just the way that you operate in your life, like the electrical engineering and just having an engineering mind, you know, to do all those things and have, you know, that side of your brain nice and functioning and operating and then you've also got this like other side you know and you're 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 merging both of them and you had all these unique experiences so that when you start to look at this you're looking at it from an analytical mind you're not just saying oh this is the thing i'm just going to accept it you're researching it you're picking it apart you're looking at correlations what makes sense um and then you're you're bringing it in that into your own understanding and then sharing it and you know quite simply i think it's like the way you operate in the world. Like when you do martial arts, it's mind, body, spirit, but you don't really study science. And when I had um, Robert Grant on the show, he's my friend, he, he, um, he did the etymology of number for Resonant Science Foundation. His company's on the New York Stock Exchange. He's a brilliant businessman, but 
has all these mathematical breakthroughs. He made a whole bunch and they just got proven on supercomputers. And I was talking to him, I was like, Robert, how do I become a better athlete? He's like, do my math course. He's just like, it's merging two hemispheres. And if you look at the polymaths, you know, like Da Vinci, they all did art and their, or some form of like body. And then they had the science. And so it seemed like your natural program. And like you said, like, I didn't realize I was a nerd, but you were just operating in this way. No, also. I was actually kind of one-sided. Oh, uh, yeah. Actually, I serious. Listen, I was so out of touch with my emotions. I think I was kind of a, like an automaton, like a robot most of my life. Serious. Oh. I would just kind of, I'm going to do this. I'd ignore my body completely. And that's what I was doing, like a, like a single-minded focus to the exclusion of other things. And, and I didn't start getting the hemisync thing truly going on, or my right brain where I was interested in music and creating music, all that kind of stuff. That didn't start happening until after I got exposed to structural integration. Ah, okay. Started, so so started you, really you healing my body, yeah. Got, so was the martial arts later too? Are we well, doing... It, well, it happened shortly after I got exposed to structural integration. And I went to learn this crazy ability to change the human body to relate to the gravity field, not because it would make you a better athlete, but I did it for the same reason the founder of the work did. She had a kid who had polio. One of the legs was shorter than the other was all mangled. And she wanted her kid to be able to walk, you know? And I had a kid that was born with a genetic disorder who was in braces and I had the same motivation, okay? So I was, and you know, he, it was very obvious there was something wrong with his connective tissue. It was drooping down around his ankle like a sock. Okay, pretty obvious. So that's why I got into it. And the next thing I know, I realized this is the secret weapon athletes are using to be in the zone, right? Remember uh, the, the, the idea of being in your zone optimal performance, you know, with VO2 max and everything's just firing just right. You're smiling because <laughs> this is your lingo, right? Your domain. But they are. So, but the but structural integration have the ability, if if it seemed to work right for the right person, that would put them in that zone anytime they wanted to be there. So it was like a secret weapon. Well, I I just kind of stumbled across that, had the work done to me to see if it was something I would do with my kid, and one thing led to another, and I ended up in practice for over ten years as a structural integrator, not knowing <laughs> that was in my path at all at all. So uh, anyway, but through that process. I was doing martial arts while my body was coming apart at every joint, okay? Synovial fluid moving back into sacks that had been squished through, you know, impact accidents, swinging on a rope when I was 15, all this kind of crazy stuff. Rediscovering what gravity even is, you know, because it's starting to feel it through the top of my head. <laughs> it's like, I've never had this relationship before. You know, that kind of thing. So it was a pretty profound awakening for me to get my body to start relating to the gravity field. And while that was happening, I was in a, I don't know, a black belt program with my kids studying Taekwondo, mostly because they got drawn, drawn into it. And I'm like, what are my kids being doing over here? And they're giving me a free uniform. Yeah, I'm gonna go in there and make sure they're okay. The next thing you know, I'm at, you know, I'm at my black belt testing three years later like that. So, um, so during that process though, I discovered that my body was doing something. People had been in that work and that line of field for 10 years wasn't happening too. And it was happening to me within six months. I could do the full splits and <laughs> do the craziest spin kicks within very short order because my body was adapting to the gravity field and theirs wasn't. And I'm like, what's going on here? I wanted to share that, right? Next thing I knew, I ended, I ended up in 
practice. So I had a practice called uh, Gravity Body Fitness and Structural Academy in San Diego and in Tucson, where I saw hundreds and hundreds of people doing this work. So I've had my hands on a lot of bodies, and that gave me an opportunity to start, I don't know, differentiating between what's the energy feel like in this one versus over at this one. I started really dialing in on what is human energy and how do we quantify it? What do we know about that? And I started noticing that there was a correlation between this one's structure that was more correct and this one is broken and their energy were, were different. So it's like, well, this structure, function, and energy. And it turns out I wrote a paper on that graduating from the Structural Integration School in 2004. And it turned out I was right. So I bought the imaging equipment, started looking at my clients to see their energy body before and after they got their superficial fascia changed and their bones started relocating to be in line with gravity and their energy was changing. It was absolutely fascinating. I like, okay, I got what I need to know. Now, what is that? Because I'm an electrical engineer. What, what about that energy? What's that? And that's when you find out you cross over in, into a domain where it's been kind of off limits to people. Everything from Raymond Rife's machine at the turn of the century, who, by the way, was an engineer, playing with frequency as it affected um, various forms of life, including bacteria. You could, he could cure any disease using a frequency back at the turn of the century, okay, knowing this information. Same thing with the people who died in prison for um, talking about the human energy body. And, you know, Wilhelm Reich, for instance. You know what I'm talking about? There's I've heard been a lot of pioneers in the human energy. <laughs> what is human energy related to the electromagnetic spectrum? You know, there's the outside and there's this inside. And well, when you talk about where that meets, where the finite meets the infinite, you're in dangerous territory because it exposes who and what you are as an avatar. Right. So I, we're getting a little off track, and I know you got some. No, questions. no, right. This is right on track. Perfect. Oh, is it okay? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I know. I, well, so so what is what is human energy? Are we just are we just meat modems that are meat hosts that uh, are born and die and we turn back into dirt, or is there more to it than that? And you and I both know that there's more to it than that. A whole lot more. As a matter of fact, anything that you can see, touch, or experience with your senses is illusory. It's not even real. It's not even you. That's the truth. Hindus knew this. All the cultures that knew about the illusion of reality knew this. They had different names for it. The illusion of Maya, right? Or, or Egyptian record, they call it the illusion of Ka. Separating your energy at birth into Ka and Ba. One that's completely caught up in the illusion of materialism. Another one that's on a spiritual path. And there's, there seem, doesn't seem to be a lot of overlap between those two. Once one ends, the other one starts and there's no going back. So, so what is this human energy thing, and is it real? Can we prove it? Bro, you, well, you said so much there, that, and I'm so glad you clarified because it was you were the one way, you know, let's say more logical, super hard, and then it was the integration of the other side, and so, so it took time to marry the two. 
And now it's, now it's like a more balanced operating system and it moves you into, you know, this, this side where a lot of people look at like energy body and mystical and like, that's not real. We can't measure it. And they just totally disregard it. Um, and it's interesting that you have this electrical engineering background. And I, I wanted to bring that up specifically because I spent the summer with the native American elder, David Lombert Senapas, who is, uh, he's a mathematician and he's a scientist. Um, he has the world record for being like the, other than like NASA and stuff like that, the person to put balloons into space that he made himself put 40 balloons into high atmosphere with a chip that reads a signal. And, um, so he goes, you know, your electrical engineers are more spiritual than most of your spiritual teachers. And I said, really? He's like, why? He's just like, they're doing something. And he's just like, I was taught there's only one energy in this universe and it's electrical. We're an electrical, um, you know, you sh- if you're creating an energy, you have to be able to create an electrical field. And so, Another interesting facet he told me is like in his, in my teachings, you have two spirit guides, a positive and a negative, not to be mistaken with good and bad, a positive and negative because the body's the ground and you need that to run the circuit. And so if you want them to help you, you need to speak it out loud and write it down so they can see it and they're helping you run the circuit, which he says you're basically in a simulation. So I was like, oh crap. So I'm curious. Uh, if you want to touch on any of that, but also, yeah, well, like what you think of like consciousness and ascended masters and, and all that kind of thing from your perspective. Well, I want to go back to something tangible uh, that has to do with electricity. And I really never got this until after I got out of college, to be honest with you. I learned everything about <clears throat> small signal models and everything you can imagine electrical engineering on modeling, you know how an electron flows through wires with resistance and inductance and the whole thing, okay? And I did that for years designing circuits and systems in industry. But later on, after I read, I was reading, because I was seeking like you, I wanted to know the answers to the mysteries of life, and I would read pretty hardcore stuff. I read Feynman lecture series. I read everything you can imagine. But it never really kind of landed in my lap what this unification of what this energy is. And they were looking for the grand unification theory in physics, right? To to unify the four forces to go back to the Big Bang. And this is where all the original energy came from before it segregated into these four. That's how they thought about it, which is kind of not quite accurate. But anyway, I discovered this book called The Final Theory 10 years ago. I think it was in 2005, so it was more like 13 years ago. And in that book, the very first chapter dealt with the concept of gravity. And I knew that was the key to unraveling this whole thing. And he did such a good job on that chapter that uh, it changed everything I believed from college. And all my physics classes and all that, it didn't answer the questions that I still had that he did. And so I looked into the book, read it very carefully, and it turned out to be a book called The Final Theory by Mark McCutcheon. He's a professor in a university, I think in Australia. I'm not sure where he is right now. But in that theory, it talks about uh, what this reality is and models it in terms of everything down from the atomic level where you have weak nuclear bonds and strong nuclear bonds that form the covalent bonds and chemical bonds that you see in material, okay? All the way from that level to what we call light. Okay, and it turns out, Matt, according to this theory, that there are bound electrons that make up matter, and then there are free electrons that can make up the entire electromagnetic spectrum, including light. And I actually, after looking at this very deeply, I think he's absolutely right. 
So look into that for people who want to know deeply about the physics of the universe. Um, look into the book called The Final Theory by Mark McCutcheon. And I think you'll find your answer. Okay. And it goes very well with the electric universe theories that have been floating around, but it's actually more encompassing with proofs, okay, for all the equations for those who need that. <laughs> well, see, anyway, yeah, well, for how me, does that relate to the human body? This is the key. Gravity has been the key to me because something about an athlete being in the zone is related to their relationship to gravity. Okay, look at a, look at a, a series of runners running and look at. Just imagine there are a vertical line that's connected by seven segments, your feet, your lower leg, your upper leg, your pelvis, your torso, your neck, and your head. That's seven. You're a seven-segmented uh, Gumby <laughs> that's connected with uh, rubber bands and popsicle sticks. And that line that runs from the top of your head down through you while you're standing is very important. You were talking about polarity. Well, think about an antenna. When you stick a grounding rod in the ground and then run it up to a pole, what you're doing is taking the ground potential of the earth, expanding it through uh, an extension, a metallic conductive extension, your lightning rod on your house, and that sends out the um, negative polarity that attracts the positive ions from the clouds, so it'll strike there and go on the ground, not hit your house. Okay? That same analogy applies to you as an electrical body. You're mostly water. You're conductive. You have a negative pole in your concentration of energy along your central spine, which is your lightning rod, which is down at your tailbone. And everyone knows about, maybe they don't, that's the source of where your kundali, your potential energy that can be released, that can transform your whole body resides. It's coiled up like a snake. It showed as a spring or a coiled up serpent for a reason. That represents potential energy. Potential energy is something that can be unleashed at a certain point if it's hit with some catalyst. Okay. to take it beyond its threshold of compression where it wants to extend. And, and there's a spring constant for every spring. And whatever it is for kundalini energy, I'm not quite sure what that is. I haven't gone that far, but that's what it represents. So there's a potential in your energy body at your lowest um, point while you're standing erect in the gravity field where the electrons, if you're, if you're grounded with your feet bare on the ground, you're going to have a different effect than if you're wearing rubber shoes. Okay, with soles on, right? So think about yourself like a real electrical body for a second. You touch the ground with your feet, you're standing erect in this field. Now you've extended the ground potential from the ground at least up to a certain point in your body where it looks like it connects with your tailbone. That's where your negative pole is in your energy body. And we can see that visually. Okay, and there's a nerve ganglia there called the ganglion of impar that coincides with that first chakra. A chakra is a nerve complex where energy coalesces okay it's not some mystical thing the hindus made up okay it's, it's a real physical thing okay well it coincident to that place is is on your spine your conductor if you keep following the spine up think of it as an antenna no we, do, we just or a lightning rod if you want initially ultimately we're going to deal with it like an antenna and not just a rod sticking up that's causing a polarization at the top. So the top of your head at your crown chakra is where, you, well, actually, it's, that's the top of your energy body. The actual point of the, uh, where the positive pole starts is right inside your nose. So this is where the sushuma, the central nervous system, comes up your spine. And either side of that are two nerve complexes that run parallel with that. One goes up and one goes down. 
and those are your Ida and Pingala nadis. A nadi is a little nerve connection to the central connector. Okay, that's why <clears throat> in Kriya Yoga, they concentrate on making sure the breath can fl flow equally through both sides of your nostrils because it charges the Ida and the Pingala nadi that lead right to the positive pole of your energy body. Does that make sense? Okay, so between the positive and negative pole, you can have frequencies running. And what are those frequencies? Well, we have seven total chakras, each running at its own wavelength, which is a color. Wavelength is, okay, you're, you're, you like um, snowboarding. So imagine you've got some moguls, right? You're going across the moguls. The top of one mogul to the next mogul has a distance, whatever it is, based on how rapid you go, right? Well, that distance is the length. And if you're in the water, we call that the wavelength or frequency, it's the wavelength. So it's a distance, okay? Well, that translates in the electromagnetic spectrum to a color. Wavelength is color, okay? <clears throat> so thousands of years ago, they knew what the colors of these nodal points were along your central spine that they called chakras. Now, how did they know that? How could you see the color of the frequency of the aggregation of energy there without some instrumentation thousands of years ago? The only possible way is if these got sensitized in some way where they could see wavelength that other people couldn't see, right? And we know there are people that say they can see other people's auras and stuff like that. So maybe those who activate their third eye could see this, right? So what's that, right? It's this concept of a third eye, a perception beyond the two physical eyes. Okay. Well, that turns out to be uh, coincident with your sixth chakra, which is your pituitary gland. It's right up in here, right above the item Pingala nadis. So in, in, in general, what we're looking at here is a human antenna that can receive energy from the electromagnetic spectrum, concentrated at up to seven points, maybe more. And that creates an ethereal stacked layer of energy around the human body that has there's a close-in layer then there's a little bit farther one out then there's one that's you know so so far above your head and then there's the concept of your Merkaba field when it's activated that's up to 55 feet around your body okay all the time so anybody with advanced instrumentation or visualization systems or a telemetry system that could see frequency or wavelength that other spectra could actually see another human and detect all of that and we have that we have that Okay, so it shouldn't be a surprise to people that their energy composition could be seen by not only three later agencies, but people that are trying to bring healing modalities to their space as well. And you can look into polychromatic interference photography, you can look into resonant field imaging, there's a whole bunch of them that have come out that essentially, once you know what the frequency is that you can detect, all you need is a little receiver, go detect it, read what it is, and you got it, okay? It's, that, it's pretty much that easy. And, I, and I've had one of those since... 2007 so it's, it's not a big deal it's just simple science and so you would use that um you would use that instrument to see if the the work that you're doing is being effective and you can change the energy field of the body well i had two systems one was kind of you measure the the frequency on the body that you want to be interested in and it could you could measure it anywhere there were there were regions around the brain they had mapped out all over the body and including the chakras everybody knew about the chakras so you could measure there and uh, you take the measurements along the chakras, um, it would convert it into a color because frequency, speed of light equals wavelength times frequency. If you know that simple relationship, you can get color or you can get frequency because the speed of light's a constant. 
pretty much. That's what we've been taught, but it works. <clears throat> so if I know the frequency of something, I can get the wavelength and vice versa. So in the wavelength is a color, and that's what people want to see along their chakras. What color is my chakras there, <laughs> right? So you enter it in the software, take the frequency, convert it into wavelength, and show them their chakra colors. It was pretty simple. That was the early version. Um, it was a lot of work to take the readings. You'd usually take three at one spot, average them, make sure you didn't make a mistake because nobody wanted to have the wrong color chakra, right? And, but the, later they came out with uh, one you could do it with an HD video where it was messing with the luma, no, no, the two chroma fields, chroma red and blue, and basically skewing it based on the light interaction as it hits your body. So it was very important that you didn't have shadows and things like this, but you could actually see the human energy body interacting <laughs> with the light live on camera. And I had that system as well. And people that are interested in that, I don't know if it's still around, it was... Uh, PIP by Dr. Harry Oldfield out of the UK. So hope Harry's Matt, doing good. Well, you opened up so many cans of worms that I want to touch on. Okay. So first thing is um, just the gravity, you know, the gravity field. If we're a human antenna and we are, a, you know, an electrical circuit, electromagnetic, um, and then we're thinking about consciousness, you know, the body, do you see the body as its own intelligence kind of like doing its thing? Because consciousness is like really all we're focusing on at the time. I've read once before it holds like five to seven bits of information. I can talk to you. I have some what of uh, awareness of my surroundings, but really the unconscious mind or whatever that may be has just got so much more information coming in. And I kind of was saying like in a meditation, you learn to dim that thing. It's like, you're safe. You're not going to be eaten by a tiger. Go back into the bigger pool, the deeper ocean mm -hmm. of consciousness. Um, and so then when we're going around and we're thinking about gravity, the electrical body and expanding, quote unquote, expanding consciousness. Because when you're in like fear, and anxiety and depression, right? And you're worried about making money, making ends meet. It's really hard to get into a safe space to think about the idea of your body being in like an electrical uh, field and like controlling consciousness, expanding consciousness and possibility about your life being here. So I just wanted to kind of share all that to see like if you had any feedback for like the idea of like what consciousness is, the nature of consciousness and, and expanding it and going a little bit deeper on just gravity and is there a way for us to kind of like connect with that in a real way like if i'm an athlete right. what have you looked at doing so i can improve this is selfish but i'm sure that people also are like you know well what can i do to increase my lightning rod you know what i mean to start to tap into this and to see yeah there's there's several things you can do and actually this bro of mine and i were just talking about Okay, so there's a lot of us that have discovered that we're not our ego and we get into mindfulness, but how do we take this to the place where our third eye is active and we're having, and we're evolving ourselves as far as we can, you know, because when you just get to mindfulness and you see the state of the world, without a little bit more, it's almost a burden because you're like, dude, I don't want to be that, okay? But I see it, so you have this burden of awareness of it, but you want to go to the point where you're feeling Buddhahood in the midst of it, but it's very difficult. And it's, it's kind of the whole system's made difficult to do that, okay? It's not, it's, it's not made for you to be awake and living at your highest potential. It's made for you to be a slave, padding somebody else's pockets, okay? Whether they're human or alien, it doesn't really matter. Slavery, slavery, right? So... Where do we start? <laughs> um, let's talk a little bit more about gravity and, and how it relates to the human. Because people hear that and they go, oh, yeah, you know, 
that gravity thing. Uh, who's who's the guy who wrote the song Gravity? He's famous. Um, like Coldplay or something? No, it's, it was a. Uh, I did part of my Gravity. Series. So I have to disclose, I did a series on Gravity just for this reason, to kind of bring people to the place of the awareness of okay, there's the theoretical about what it is and what science thinks it is and all the things like that and what LIGO is doing the Laser Interferometry Gravity Observatory at Caltech, all that. And I put this on my premium series for people. Okay, this is, this is kind of hardcore stuff. But then I went and I did the last one called Gravity in You. And somehow, some way, my experience as a structural integrator decided it wanted to have a venue to talk to people about gravity and consciousness because they are very related. And you wouldn't guess that, would you, Matt? Would you guess that gravity and consciousness are related? No, not at all. And what's fascinating, though, in, in being with this elder all summer, um, he spoke specifically a few times of gravity. And he goes, why do you never ask me about gravity? I was like, I don't know. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. <laughs> it's like, I'm just... Because I conquered it on the, uh, with my snowboard on the moguls. I don't need to. <laughs> yeah, right? it's like, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> well, so, let's let's yeah. talk about those. So what did I discover? In my first book, I was messing around. I'd written this paper called Structures, Function, and Energy for the Rolf Guild, where I learned to be a structural integrator long ago under Emmett Hutchins, who's long passed away. Okay. But he and I were very linked in the sense of understanding things from an energetic standpoint. And he was actually messing with Starfire Gold back in 2002, way before I even knew about it, you know, <laughs> what it was, or <laughs> had talked to an alchemist and figured this out. I don't know what that is. I've heard about it. Well, remind, me to, remind me to bring that up as a closure to okay. amplifying your experience. <clears throat> okay, cool. It's like, it's like having a drug experience where you get exposed to an alternate perception. Like I'm talking hallucinogenic, natural things that were put in on this earth by nature, okay? <laughs> that alternate experience for a lot of people is the first time they realize that there's some other consciousness, other perception possibility for a human than what their daily consciousness is so it kind of wakes them up you know they're, they're like in the duality you can't know one without the other right so all of a sudden you find this and go wow that was something really great i want to get back to that and next thing you know you're taking all of that whatever got you there the first time in in excess until you're kind of addicted to it and then you realize I can't function like that in my everyday life. I've got to have, figure out how I get there without doing this. And by the way, this might cost a lot. It'll take a lot of my time to get this, whatever, okay? So you want it naturally. And it turns out that it is possible naturally to have a shamanic kind of blissful experience every day without suffering um, if you can achieve this. Now, we have examples of people who have done this in history. Advanced yogis that have isolated themselves from culture and all the other inputs and through in a very ascetic path got to a place where they believe their seventh chakra is firing and now they're the gurus that are showing up but uh, what's that coolum something where the gods come down from the himalayan caves and give the dispensation to people every year i can't remember the name of it it's in india but these people right so <laughs> so so let's go back to this idea of consciousness and gravity because this is what really shocked me matt um the, i was messing around with the equations for what i was trying to model what is human energy and like you said uh, if you can't do that tangibly everybody's gonna think it's woo woo okay but if you can just do something that 
demonstrates that there's some hypothesis that's verifiable over and over again. This is the basis for science, right? So, so I was thinking about this <clears throat> and I was messing around with some equations, did some substitutions. And what I came up with was stuff that could be measured on a human with the instrumentation that we have with variables or constants that lend themselves to that. Okay. For instance, weight, you can weigh yourself on your weight scale, which is your mass times gravity. Okay. And gravity is modeled as a constant here close to the surface of the earth, even though gravity is different on other planets, right? Well, what's you know, okay. So we got to ultimately one of these days we'll do a show on gravity and we'll talk about that, especially gravity in you, because as it relates to your structure and this idea of consciousness, I think that's what we're, we really want to focus on. Right? So one, one thing led to another and I got the variables of weight and gravity and wavelength and frequency. And basically <clears throat> the only, um, iterative parameter was your chakra. How many chakras do you have? Do you have seven, 13? I was like, whatever, we'll choose seven for this. Cause those are the ones we talk about, even though there were concepts of being more than just seven nerve ganglia. Okay. But right now, for right now, um, it worked because it turns out those first seven chakras that are accepted by the yogic tradition and such, they map to the colors of, of white light that are split through a prism which is what we see in our visible spectrum that shows up in your chakras, red, orange, yellow, green, blue, indigo, and violet, just like that from root to the top. Boom. Isn't that an anomaly? That's crazy right there. Who did that? Who did that? Who made the aggregation points in your body where energy shows up, show up as these split colors of white light. Somebody pretty profound did that. And they're trying to tell you that your energy it aggregates along your spine is very much related to light because it's, it represents the colors of white light split through a prism. Okay, so we know what the frequencies are that go with those wavelengths, and that's no big deal. It's published stuff. Okay, red has a frequency, and violet has a frequency, and has a wavelength too. They're related by the speed of light. So, bottom line is your optimal energy can be measured so that you could know what you could achieve. You know, a lot of times you could think about, well, is, is this chakra on, is this one on? I gotta balance my chakras, then all my energy's on, right? Well, first of all, if there are different wavelengths, you need to understand from a superposition principle, when you mix waves together, okay, they do certain things. Well, if you've got seven different wavelengths going on along your spine and they're mixing in a certain way, what's the optimal way to mix them? And how does gravity affect that? Okay, this is where it gets a little crazy. Okay, so basically the bottom line is your weight divided by gravity times the sum of I equals one to seven of your wavelength times your frequency quantity squared is your human energy. And that wavelength and frequency are have sub indexes of the index I one to seven. So you got seven wavelengths, seven frequencies at every chakra. If they're optimal and they're working, you're gonna have a stacked set of seven nodes that are representing the color of the rainbow of light. And somehow they're going to be cohesive so that you're ending up not combating each other. So they're working in coincidence to build what is you, your, you are the representation of where the finite meets the infinite in the flesh. You're a meat modem. Okay. And modem means you modulate and demodulate. Okay. So if you're receiving energy and it's lighting up your antenna at these nodes, representing what we believe is quantized consciousness, right? And they start at the bottom and they start waking up 
toward the top. That's just how, the, how it goes. You start out, everybody starts out at the bottom in their red chakra. Okay. And tell me somebody who's a teenager that's been drugged through the mud, through drug abuse, early pregnancy, blah, 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 all of that in an unconscious state, that isn't part of the process of waking up. Because when you're in the red chakra, you're not conscious of anything above that, okay? So it's quantized, meaning you go from this one, there's a gap, then you go to that one, okay? And when you get to that gap, guess what? That's where the tests are. And if you're paying attention in this life, and you pass that test, you'll go through a gate and you'll end up at a new level of consciousness. Look back at your old life and go, I can't believe I was living like that. Doesn't that happen to all of us in a way through this lifetime? And it only gets more accentuated as you move up. Okay. So those chakras are very important. They represent levels of your consciousness that ought to be your focal point in this lifetime to get to that highest level, like what you're saying. Many people to discover this relationship as athletes because they have a more in touch relationship with their body. They're using it to make a living or do whatever. And it's important. So they treat it more like an asset than, than other people that are passive in this life with their bodies. Okay. And I'm not judging. Okay. It's just the way it is. So somebody in the fighter in the ring is going to feel that, that little ailment or something that's bugging them. And it's going to have more impact on them than a normal person that could type no problem with carpal tunnel all day long. You see what I'm saying? So, do, do you have any questions before I relate how gravity works with all this? Because this is where it kind of starts rocking uh, your structure and takes you beyond vanity and starts making you think about what is my relationship with gravity? Should I sit up straight right now? <laughs> and it's not about posturing. I'll, I'll tell you right now. There, uh, let's 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 just talk about the human body for a second. What I discovered over ten years. The human body is malleable plastic, period. It's collagen made out of protein strands. If you wind them in a certain way and they connect one bone to another, we call it a ligament, but still a protein strand of collagen, okay? The stuff that makes up your ear and your nose is also collagen. It's just woven in a different way, so it's very elastic. It doesn't need to add tensile strength to hold bones in a particular alignment like ligaments and tendons. The end of tendons, which are muscles, have this, this tissue on them that looks very much like a ligament that infuses into a bone, okay? So we're rubber bands and popsicle sticks, most of which is made out of um, what we call fascia at various levels. So underneath the surface of your skin is an entire layer of fascia. It looks like a rubber wetsuit that separates between your, your dermal layer and your muscular layer. Well, everybody is in Western medicine has viewed that as on a cadaver. You cut that away so you can see the muscles. And let's get down to the important stuff. Well, it turns out that fascia is extremely important for the human to relate to gravity. Now, how does that work? <laughs> this is crazy. The fascia has its own communication system that's tethered to sensors and effectors in your body. So there's key sensors in your elbows and your knees for knowing where your limbs are in three-dimensional space at all times. How's that done? It's done through this awareness of the connective tissue with a proprioceptive location of the back of your head that senses where your center of gravity is in your pelvis and where those sensor points are on your body at all times through the fascia, the connective tissue. So if the connective tissue is bound, fused, had a cut in it from a scar, anything like that, it's going to affect your 3D tensegrity model of what you are as a human and your antenna relationship to where the top of your head is in the gravity field. 
because gravity we have to accept and you can see my chart behind me here it runs along that vertical plane from your ear down to the outside of your ankle right through your hip and your knee it's like a plumb blob you drop from your head right you drop it right from your ear and you're standing up straight it should go right through your shoulder right through your hip right through the outside of your knee and right through the outside of your ankle but that's not what happens with humans is it look around and the way you can tell this is if somebody is unable to sit or stand or walk with their ear over their shoulder, it's because they've probably got a forward head tilt with a shortened back to their neck that's due to the tilt in their pelvis that they've had since birth. That's how far back it goes. Okay? Your connective tissue is all glued together and it's random at birth. It is for everybody. And until you intercede with that, you won't get to your highest place in your energy body to relate to gravity because gravity is part of that equation for your maximum energy. It's very important. So here's a, a demonstration. <clears throat> if I were to take a pool cue and balance it on my finger like that, you know, probably the thick end at the bottom or whichever one makes it easier, but a long pole in general, a straight pole, you can balance it quite easily as long as it's vertical in the gravity field. The little circles you can balance it there, not too much difficulty, right? the longer the pole actually makes it easier. Whereas if you get a, a deviation in that pole, it starts falling over, then you gotta put a bigger input in to get back to the place where it's centered, right? And if you let it get too far away from you, it's gonna fall over and you won't be able to recover it, okay? So these are representations of relationships to the gravity field. If you're vertical in the field, you're light like the stick, okay? And you're dissipating your weight at only one point down at the bottom. Whereas you start falling over like this, the vector force of the gravity is all along this arm now, just like a lever. And when it comes down horizontal on the ground, gravity is affecting the whole lever all along and it's flat on the earth plane. Okay, for, for people who think the earth's flat, that's, that's not the case, okay? So don't hear me saying that. But what I'm saying is in a short distance representing a flat plane, you know, gravity will have its way if a tree is falling over flat. When it's standing up straight and growing correctly, it's in right relationship to gravity, okay? Well, you can see what happens when they get deviated from a lightning strike or something. As soon as they get off kilter, uh, they can't recover normally. And they'll just, the weight of the tree will tilt the roots over and eventually it'll fall over. This is no different than what happens with a human, okay? You are a vertical pole of seven segments standing in that field connected with rubber bands, okay? Your ligaments and your tendons. And those bones have, adhesions all over them from impacts from the time you were learning to walk until last time you went snowboarding okay they're all still there so how does this happen how does the connective tissue get so damaged and glued to itself to muscles ligaments and bones how does that happen we don't really know matt what the problem with that design is to be honest with you why are we born with random connective tissue glued all over the place at birth somebody made a mistake with our genetics I'm telling you, that's the only way this could happen. We were not designed correctly for this experience on this planet because of that in and of itself. We're bipedal and the majority of us cannot find vertical ever in this experience. <clears throat> we're too damaged. And that's where structural integration comes in. If you know how to change the connective tissue, which I said is malleable plastic, you can allow a human to adapt to the gravity field and their entire energy body will change. And, it's, and there's no turning back once you trigger this. It's intense. <laughs> it's the craziest thing ever.
Okay. It's like your higher self finding your meat modem and going, oh yeah, that's mine. I'm going to reclaim that. And they come back together. And when that happens, it's more powerful than any drug experience or anything you can imagine. Because not only does it start, it never stops. And every day you get out of bed and meet gravity again and connecting your feet to the floor, you're going to get some change. It, it never stops. Once you, there's a primitive intelligence in humans that knows how to take this meat modem and align it to the gravity field once it's triggered but it has to be triggered. Otherwise it's too asleep. It's like, it's like the pineal gland being too calcified. Okay. If it's too calcified, the idea of it producing DMT so you can have a blissful experience like a yogi, that's not going to happen. Okay. So <clears throat> I hope I, I hope I touched on consciousness a little bit for you and a little bit on gravity, but I didn't go through all the math. Okay. I don't think that's beneficial. It's in the books and I derived it all for you. Okay. But the bottom line is, if you can be real vertical in the gravity field and completely relaxed, that doesn't mean sitting up and posturing like you're sitting straight. That doesn't work. Connective tissue is like a bandage that's hard that won't come off until you're aware, your nervous system tells it it's time to. Okay? There's a connection between your sympathetic and your autonomic nervous system and the control of your connective tissue. Okay? If it's damaged, it gets put to sleep and it goes under autonomic nervous system control. You can't even posture and change yourself. Even if you thought you could, you can't. Okay. That's the truth. And I want people to know that there's only three things that we know of that change fascia. That's tension, temperature, and frequency right now, or there's temperature, tension, frequency, and um, pressure. So pressure and tension are two that we can use in combination very, very succinctly to change connective tissues like plastic. Okay. And this is possible. It happens in layers with the body. So for people who are interested in that, um, we started a school to teach people how to do this. And I think I shared a little bit with you, Matt, on the Gravity Body Structural Academy. Okay, that's what it is. In 10 sessions, you can change your entire body to start to adapt to the gravity field. And it'll just be a concept to you initially until it starts happening to you. Okay. And when it starts happening to you and you're getting better every day for the rest of your life instead of getting worse, which is your expectation as you get older, you'll thank me for listening, okay? I'm 55, almost 55 years old, and I'm more flexible and more in tune with gravity than most people are 18. And that didn't happen by accident. It happened just by using these principles that really work, okay? So <laughs> you've gone silent. Yeah, man, it was. Well, <laughs> listening, you know, that is a far out there concept. I can get it. You know what I mean? It's a great hypothesis and your analogies are great. I think that people listening can understand that. Um, and it, mm -hmm. I know it's some brilliant stuff when it's a challenge for me to kind of take what you said and like make it succinct for people who are just like, holy crap, like what is this guy talking about? Um, but essentially your body is energy, right? We know that it's like we can actually measure it. Yeah. And so you're looking at the ways that it's actually moving in a, in a way that I've never even thought about the fascia or anything like that. But it can make sense if you, if you go to like, okay, well, I'm 300 pounds overweight and um, my body is like really low and, you know, like the energy, it, you feel dense, right? You feel heavy. We use those words. Yeah. And, and joy and stuff, we feel light. And so if there's an actual way to, and that's kind of essentially a little bit of what yoga is, right? They use breath because we can control breath. It, correlates to consciousness mm -hmm. they use movement right because they're connecting to the body and being present things like that right but what you're offering is a whole nother step which 
I am definitely doing this thing ASAP because I want to, I want to test it out. And it's interesting because it comes from, again, that electrical uh, background, looking at the body, what is the energy, mm-hmm. how can we measure it and how do we free it up? And then what happens right. is a different relationship to the field and gravity is the field. And the one way I don't, maybe you can help me with this. Um, I don't even know if it's, it's in alignment with anything, but like if you're a fish and you can't jump out of the water, like, and you're in the ocean, you would never realize really that you're in water. Is that kind of like what right. gravity might be like to us is like this, this, this environment, like, what is it? Like how, how we're relating to it's obviously having an effect. Cause like when you, you go do down quick answer, yeah, quick or deep. Cause then I got another thing that I'm processing. So then, cause you go deeper okay. in the ocean, there's more pressure, right? So that would be like, maybe mm-hmm. there's different points of the, the earth. There's more gravity, right? You go deeper down that fish would experience right. more pressure. I have no idea if there's a relation to gravity, but that's the only way my mind can even sort well, of. There's, yeah, there's, it's a, it's an interesting analogy. When you're talking about pressure, uh, pressure equals force times area. That's a, a physical constant uh, relationship, okay? And it's related to density and volume, okay? So the distribution of a mass in a volume will determine its density. So if you squish it real close, you're gonna have a, core, a more dense experience like at the bottom of the ocean, okay? Or pressure is very excessive, but it's really a function of the density because of the pressure, okay? So those relationships kind of have an analogy to gravity, but not quite. And a lot of people have looked at the buoyancy argument relative to gravity to try to explain it. And I get that. Let's try on a different model. From Einstein's experiment, he did a thought experiment with an elevator, where if an elevator was going up and you were in, you'd feel the force uh, against your feet, like you do when you're in an elevator. It feels just like being pushed down, like we experience with gravity. Is that not, not the case? Yep. So somebody took that experiment a little bit farther in thought and decided to put something tethered to a, a spring and to other things to see if there was an additional force that gravity on the way down or if it was just the force produced by the elevator. Long story short is uh, it turns out the idea of whether gravity is pushing down on you or whether you're on something that's expanding like an elevator going up that feels like the pressure. Okay, it turns out the second case is actually the truth. And this is hard for us to wrap our heads around. Hmm. The fact of the matter is, uh, and, I, and I believe this 100%, most scientists believe the universe is expanding, but they couldn't really explain why. Oh, the, atom, you know, the Big Bang theory that went out, and maybe it goes like this or whatever. Well, from the atomic expansion theory, it's quite clear that all matter is expanding at a, at a uniform rate that turns out to be ta-da, the, the exact figure we used for gravity as a constant close to the Earth. And this is backed up with a de- derived uh, equation in the book, The Final Theory. So what does that mean? Imagine a big beach ball, Matt, that you could inflate with air, okay? Big, big one. And you're a little tiny beach ball, like you standing on the earth, okay? The earth is the big beach ball, and you're the little ball that's sitting on it. And you're both going to get inflated with air at the same time, okay? as if you're expanding it at some atomic expansion rate. We're talking down at the below molecular level, okay, that all matter is doing this. Okay, this is a fantastic book for people who want to understand this. So in that case, as you're inflating both at the same time, big beach balls of the earth, which is not flat for you flatheads out there. When you look in the sky and see the moon and the sun, are they flat looking to you? 
Okay, I don't want to go down this path. Okay, <laughs> so you're inflating these balls at the same time, these two spheres, four-thirds pi r cubed is the equation for it, the volume of the sphere. You fill that up, what's the big beach ball going to feel, and what's the little beach ball going to feel in terms of pressure, Matt? Which well, one's going to have the most impact? On oh, who? The big one. Yeah. Why? It's got more surface area, right? Yeah, more mass. So it's not even going to feel the little impact of the little one on it even though they're expanding at the same time. Mm -hmm. Okay, so if this one's expanding on top of this one and this one's expanding and, and this one's huge compared to that one, geometry matters in terms of gravity in planets, okay? So we know that gravity is strictly a function of the, the circumference of the planet that you're on and its, and its mass. So we know what it is for the moon and other places and it's all based on geometry, okay? So this big beach ball that's our Earth is is expanding at an atomic expansion rate that just so happens to match what we call gravity. So just counter that, right? <laughs> so it's expanding out. The Earth is expanding, trying to push the little beach ball up with its pressure and huge surface area. And that little beach ball has just a little touch on it. It's not even having any effect on the big one at all. It's going along for the ride, being pushed up, just like you're in an elevator, okay? So that force that's holding you down that you thought was gravity is actually the expansion of the Earth and this ground reaction force of you in your meat modem, 3D telemic <laughs> meat modem, standing on this, need to find how to push down to counteract the force that's pushing you up. That's why we sag down like molten clay over time in the gravity field when you don't pay attention. You go wide and you go, and you go, and you get shortened, especially between the torso and the pelvis where your 12th rib disappears into occlusion. Okay, it's very important that region between your pelvis and your torso, but it's usually completely dysfunctional on people. Okay, so why does this matter? The distance between your chakras, looking along your spine, if your vertebrae aren't, you know, crunched together, is the definition of the wavelength between your nerve ganglion. Okay, and it turns out to be the same distance between your eyes, it's about 7.3 centimeters average on person. Okay, that's important because the distance in that wavelength, if it's not right, the interaction of those waves and the superposition principle ain't gonna work. And you may get stuck at one chakra where you've got a subluxation in your spine for the rest of your life and you won't get any farther. That's not happy. Hmm. You don't want a broken antenna so that your energy can't flow. That's why it's so important to understand gravity. And your body has the ability, once it's triggered, to find that proper relationship with it. It does. I've even seen it in special needs children who don't have the awareness to go, oh, is my head on top? Am I playing the gravity game today? Not at all. Okay? It's a primitive intelligence in us, and it can be triggered with structure work. And once that happens for you, let's talk about the next thing, okay? I probably dwelt on that enough. Trust me on this, people. It'll be the best money you ever spent in your life and you won't have to take ever another drug or anything else, and you'll get better and better and better to the extent that your structure will allow. I've had clients who had broken necks, pins in their back, a whole thing, okay? And I always tell them, you know, you're only going to get as good as, as far as your structure is going to let you. And they, that was good enough for them because from where they were starting, it was better what they had. Okay. Another thing that we can, you can do, you talked about breath work. It's very important. Um, breath work is not just some temporary thing where you get a head rush and it's, it's all cool, okay? Changing your relationship with your breath to your, to your energy body 
has a long-term effect and actually starting to reprogram and change your DNA. Okay. We don't know exactly how, what all the pathways are for the breath and what it does, but from the electrical energy body, when you trigger that, it knows how to do the rest to take a meat host that was caught in the material illusion of call and turn it into a host that the truth wants to have a full expression of experience of consciousness in. It'll seek you out like a match for, on burned dry leaves, okay? It'll seek you out if you do that. That's part of knowing yourself and purging your vessel to, to purify your consciousness. Well, what does that mean to purify your consciousness? All right, everybody, that wraps up that incredible part one with Gerald Clark. I hope that you enjoyed that. Um, he's a bit of a mind blower, um, as I warned you, and if you've heard him before, um, what a just an interesting fellow. So we're going to dive even deeper into the second part. If you like this episode, please share it. Um, write a blog about the podcast. Do anything to just get the word out there. I appreciate that. Thank you so much for those of you who support me on Patreon, who've left a review in iTunes. It really helps. It really goes a long way. Um, but the best thing that you can do is one act of kindness today. If you understand what the podcast is about, the intention, um, doesn't matter the philosophy, what we're trying to do. If you uh, know an alien one-on-one, if you don't believe in aliens, if you don't think you're spiritual, if you are spiritual, if you meditate, if you don't meditate, if whatever you do, if you do an actual act of kindness, that's spiritual mastery in motion. Um, It doesn't matter if you meditate it all day and then you don't do that act of kindness. That's really where um, the proof is in the pudding. So if you want to be more spiritual, more connected to God, more conscious, activate your DNA, do all that kind of stuff. It actually has to come through action. It's that simple. Um, But we go right past it in, you know, getting to those seminars and those self-help things and doing all that and just ignoring all the opportunity we have to help those around us. That's really spiritual mastery right there. So um, just keep that in mind. Please do an act of kindness if you like the show. Um, Tell your friends about it and, um, you know, go to mattbelair.com, sign up for the email list, forward slash lucid dreaming if you want to get yourself some lucid dreaming and um, that's it support on patreon if you want check out david lombard senapass's work we were just at the parliament of world religions and uh, disclosure fest in washington lots of exciting stuff coming down the pipe trying to kind of reintegrate and relax because it was a whirlwind and i got a lot of work to do so uh, tons of love and appreciation to you and before we close it out let's just come to a powerful state of peace and coherence so wherever you are in the world just stop what you're doing and taking a deep breath in through your nose Hold that breath and just let it out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Taking in another deep breath in through your nose. Holding that breath and just make the firm commitment to be loving, kind, and compassionate to yourself. And just let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the self-limitations, and all the self-doubts. Taking in one more deep breath in through the nose. Hold that breath and just feeling your connection to divine life force energy, just the entire universe goodness all of creation just let that breath out slowly feeling totally peaceful connected empowered and ready to take on the day so thank you so much for listening and we'll see you in part two with gerald clark